Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. We know that Jesus used parables as a way to teach his disciples, but why? On this episode, Bishop explains. Then he breaks down one of his favorites, the parable of the sower. The episode wraps up with two others, the weeds among the wheat and the parable of the mustard seed. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop who has once again agreed to give up some of his valuable time to, to share a little peek into the scriptures for us. So thank you for being here. Bishop. You're welcome. It's always good to reflect on the word of God. Yeah. So you had mentioned this as a potential topic. Uh, I believe it was a homily that you had given about a particular parable, which I think parables in general are kind of an interesting topic. Jesus speaks often in parables. Why do you think that was? Why did he? Well, he uses very everyday things that people would understand Uh and stories that really to talk about, especially the kingdom of God. The parable of the sower is really one of my favorites. It's been called the mother of all parables because Hmm. it really provides a clue to understanding all the parables of Jesus. And it's interesting. It's Our Lord doesn't usually explain the meaning of the parables, right. but he does in this one. He yeah. doesn't only give us the parable and leave it to us to figure out the message. He explains the meaning to us to help us to understand better the mystery of his kingdom, the kingdom of God. So I think everybody is probably familiar with this parable of the sower where and I don't know if we want to read it or not. What do you think, Kyle? How about a summary? A summary. Yeah. Okay. And, well, and, and then we encourage people to go read the, the actual. Right. Well, the sower uh, sows the seed and there's four kinds of soil, the, the path and then the rocky ground, thorny ground, and then good, rich and fertile ground. Our Lord then goes on to explain that the seed cannot grow well unless the ground is fertile, et cetera. So we can go into these different types of soil. I think that would be interesting. But our Lord explained, I mean, he is the sower of the seed. That's that's very important to okay. realize. Jesus is the sower of the seed, and the seed is the word of God. And it's good for us to think about what kind of soil are we? You know, how do we receive the word of God? And I think of it when applying that parable to us, that at different times in our lives, perhaps, we can be different types of soil for the seed. And there are really four types of human response to the Word of God. So the first type of soil is really just a path. So the seed falls on the path, and it really doesn't have a chance to sink in. Rather quickly, the parable says, the birds came and ate it up. When Jesus explains this, the meaning, he says, these are the ones that as soon as they hear, Satan comes at once and takes away the word sown in them. Now, when we think about this, we can think, for example, at that time, the scribes and the Pharisees. Mm. They never accepted Jesus's teaching. They never opened their minds and hearts to Jesus. So really, the seed 
in their case, fell on a path. Mm -hmm. They never received it. So the seed wasn't able to grow at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the gospel talks about Satan coming and taking it away, swooping it away. And I guess that can happen in our lives for those especially who've never really accepted it. Mm -hmm. I would think that the majority of, of Christians have accepted it. If they've ever identified themselves as Christians, there are at least some acceptance. The second type of soil, though, can really be a problem in our lives. It's the rocky ground. This refers to those who receive the word. They receive the gospel with joy. The problem is, as Jesus explains, that we can receive God's word with joy but if we have an underlying hardness of heart, the roots aren't strong. Mm. The word can't penetrate deeply because of the rocks. And this is basically when our allegiance to Christ is too shallow mm. to sustain us through the tough times. So we might have faith, but it doesn't last and Jesus himself refers to those who fall away when there's a tribulation or a persecution. Right. And when that happens, because the faith isn't deep, people just leave it. We can think of, I mean, even Catholics who were baptized, re received First Communion, maybe were confirmed, but their faith it may not be very deep, mm -hmm. not deeply rooted, especially if they haven't really been raised in a family that was very active in the faith. And this is why it's so important that parents really live the faith in the home, because if it's been lax in faith practice, the faith of the children maybe will not become deeply rooted. It can mm -hmm. be very superficial. Maybe some participation, maybe going to Mass on Christmas or Easter, but really not a strong commitment. So. It's easy to fall away then if the faith isn't deep. I even know people who've gone through the RCIA, received the sacraments, were really received it with joy, mm -hmm. as the parable says, but then after a couple of years, stopped practicing the faith. And I, I think to myself, well, how can that happen? Well, the word fell on rocky ground. Mm -hmm. But we can all be rocky ground if our faith isn't deep enough to endure when difficulties come. When some tribulation or persecution comes, maybe, let's say, one has a negative experience in the church, even with maybe a priest or something, or when we encounter some challenge or suffering, the seed of the word sown on rocky ground, according to the parable, will get scorched by the sun and wither if there's a lack of deep roots. The faith will only last for a time when our souls are rocky ground, preventing strong roots. Right. Then the third type of soil is also, I think, one that's quite common. It's the soil that's filled with thorns. So the thorns grow and they choke the seed. And Jesus said that this refers to those who hear the word, but worldly anxiety, the lure of riches, and the craving for other things intrude and choke the word and it bears no fruit. There are a lot of thorns that can choke the seed. I mean, think about 
the influence of secularism or the influence of materialism in our culture. We can become focused on material things and worldly priorities in such a way that faith becomes secondary or faith becomes peripheral in our lives. Like our lives then become centered in other things in a way that we begin to neglect our spiritual lives. And some will even turn away from the teachings of Jesus or the teachings of the church because they're not popular or because it's difficult. And there are people who get caught up in ideologies that are inimical to our faith. And they can assimilate values contrary to the gospel of Jesus. It's very, very common Mm -hmm. in our culture. And I think this is probably the biggest challenge for the church. A lot of thorns in the soil where we're trying to sow the seed of God's word. Keep in mind that this begins, involves first of all, our own hearts, our own lives as disciples. You know, I was thinking it's, it's good that we have Lent every year because I see Lent as a special time to clean out the thorns in our souls, yeah. you know, the vices that thwart our spiritual growth. Prayer, fasting, almsgiving, these traditional Lenten practices help us to get rid of the thorns so that the Word of God doesn't get choked, doesn't get choked in mm-hmm. our souls by pride or greed or lust or anger or any of the capital sins. So it's really a lifelong process to cultivate the soil of our souls so that the seed will grow and then bear fruit. Which brings us to the fourth type of soil, and that's the fertile soil, the rich soil that produces fruit. Mm-hmm. Notice when you read the parable, there's a spectacular result. Jesus describes a bumper crop, a, a plentiful harvest. He says, that this seed that falls on rich soil yielded 30, 60, and 100-fold. So this is when a person hears the word, ponders it, understands it, takes it into his or her heart, and then allows the word to transform one's life, one's whole life. There are wonderful fruits that result, the fruits of faith, hope, and love. These are the fruits of holiness. We see these fruits in the lives of the saints. They are men and women who had to struggle like we do to let the Word of God enter deeply into their lives, to not be rocky ground and not let thorns choke the seed of God's Word in their souls. They became rich soil for God's Word because they opened themselves to His grace. They didn't let His Word enter one ear and go out the other. They assimilated it into their lives. They persevered in faith. They let the Word of God form them and change them. So many people today are formed by secular ideologies. Mm -hmm. I mean, I see people who were good Catholics getting caught up in far-right or far-left ideologies, and they're formed by that. No, we need to be formed by the Word of God and the teachings of His Church. So the saints let the Word of God form them, and they grew in holiness. And, and of course, their lives bore abundant fruits for the church. We can look at the lives of so many saints. So I think, of course, the Blessed Virgin Mary, I always think, is the greatest example of 
being good in fertile soil yeah. because first of all, there were no, no sin. She was immaculate. It's like the perfect soil. Really. Right, the yeah. perfect soil. So I think it's good to ask her to help us with her prayers to be good soil without thorns, without rocks, mm -hmm. where the seed of God's word can bear fruit in abundance for ourselves, for our families, for the church, and really for the world. And the thing that I like about this, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is this is showing like best case scenario, but even seeds that fall on a path occasionally do sprout into something. It's not ideal and it's not likely to happen, but sometimes you, you see like a, a St. Paul conversion, you know, where like he seemed to have been pretty hardened of heart, but God was able to to work through him still. And so every once in a while we see these kind of conversion stories or somebody had a powerful experience out of nowhere and it doesn't seem like they did any work to to be open to that or to to take care of their soil, but God still was able to to sprout fruit out from that. Yeah. I, I mean they had to open themselves somewhat. They had to open their mm. minds or hearts because there's always free will. Yeah. That God doesn't force his grace upon us. But even if it's a little, yeah. you know, God's grace can work. You're right. So you, you said that God is the sower in, in this parable. Are there times also, though, that we can maybe identify with the sower that in our efforts to evangelize that I, I think of, you know, our parish priests, you as bishop, but youth ministers, and all the, sometimes you're sowing these seeds and you get frustrated because not all the seeds are growing. And I, I know, especially when I was a youth minister, you know, you get, you'd be hard on yourself. Like I'm not converting all these kids or like, they're not getting the message or whatever. Like, but we can't be totally responsible for the soil. Well, all we can do is sow the seeds the best that we can and do what we can to improve the soil. But Ultimately, yeah, some, someone's going to work and some is not. Right. I would say, yeah, Jesus is the sower, but we help him mm. in sowing the seed in the lives of others, as well as, you know, trying to be good soil ourselves. But, yeah. but the church's mission is, is to preach the word and to teach. So I think especially all those people that you mentioned, when I preached recently on this gospel, I it was at the right of election. So I talked about how the RCIA teachers and the sponsors and godparents mm. were really helping Jesus in sowing the seed in the lives of the catechumens yeah. and the candidates. So yes, I think that's the work of the church really is to be instruments of Jesus the sower. I guess the other way you could look at it is that our job is to help get the soil ready for when God is speaking to yeah, them or, or right. working through them. Well, I think when we teach, we are and, and proclaim the gospel and teach the gospel. We're really trying to imitate Jesus, the teacher. So mm -hmm. we're sharing his teachings yeah. with those whom we instruct. I always like how this parable ends as well. It's uh, whoever has ears ought to hear. Yeah which I feel like is a good tagline for this podcast as well. Like whoever has ears ought to hear this, <laughs> this episode. It's, it's kind of a funny way of saying it too. I don't, I don't know if that's a translation thing or yeah. if, is there any particular meaning behind that? Do you think? 
other than like, yeah, I mean, we all have ears, say. but but we don't all have ears that are listening or you know that are open. Yeah, you know, so that's I think what Jesus was referring to. We have to open our ears. Yeah. All right. So this is the parable of the sower. I believe this is in three of the Gospels: Matthew thirteen, Mark four, and Luke chapter eight. So encourage people to read through that and reflect on it and see how we can uh, maybe just kind of reflect on, you know, how how is our soil? How are we being open to the word of God? And, and are we putting ourselves in a position that's going to nurture that? Yeah. Do I act on what I hear? Right. Before Lent, we had those, that series of gospels from Jesus's sermon on the plain in Luke. I mean, those are, that's so challenging where Jesus talks about loving our enemies and doing good to those who hate us. And, and he talks about p- praying for our persecutors, you know, turning the other cheek and all those different things that are really, that's a, a radical discipleship. And do we really try, you know, do we strive to live those teachings? Do we really strive to forgive or do we just hear that and say, well, let it, let we just let it go. Even yeah. if we have an enemy, we just don't want to hear it. So right. we, we, we let it go. And that's not being good and rich soil then. Hmm. All right. Well, this is the first of three parables that involve seeds. So I want to talk about the other two. Before we do, though, just a reminder that if you have any questions for Bishop, you can text your question to the Holy Cross College text line 260 436 9598. And we are going to get more gardening advice from Jesus and see if we should be using parables more often. Coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit, member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives with products, services, and education. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it back to our members. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. We've been talking about parables, in particular, the parable of the sower, which is talking about the seed that's planted on different types of soil. It's followed up by another gardening parable, the weeds among the wheat, which kind of, I don't know if if it's supposed to be like a, a continuation of, or if it's, it's kind of like a separate kind of standalone parable. It seem, they seem to overlap a little bit. Yeah, this one, again, it's about the kingdom of God. So just like the parable of the sower, it's it's about the kingdom. And our Lord says, the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a man who sowed good seed in his field. While everyone was asleep, his enemy came and sowed weeds all through the wheat and then went off. When the crop grew and bore fruit, the weeds appeared as well. The slaves of the householder came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where have the weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. 
His slaves said to him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? He replied, No. If you pull up the weeds, you might uproot the wheat along with them. Let them grow together until harvest. Then at harvest time, I will say to the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles, but gather the wheat into my barn. Let them grow together until harvest. Then at harvest time, I will say to the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles for burning, but gather the wheat into my barn. You know, this is such a relevant parable. You know, unlike the parable of the sower, Jesus doesn't explain it, but but we certainly live in a world with both wheat and weeds. We live in a church with both wheat and weeds. Hmm. And if we're honest, if we look at our own lives, we see both wheat and weeds. Right. Basically, good and evil. Mm-hmm. Good and evil coexist. Goodness and wickedness exist side by side. So in this parable about the kingdom, Jesus speaks about how the slaves of the householder sowed good seed in the field, but an enemy sowed weeds in the same field. The master told the slaves not to pull up the weeds because in doing so, they might uproot the wheat along with them. Mm -hmm. So the master insists that they should go together until harvest. Then the weeds would be collected and burned, and the wheat would be gathered into the barn. So basically, the master is telling the slaves to be patient. Wait, wait. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the message is pretty clear. It's, the parable is confronting us with the problem of the coexistence of good and evil. And this is the reality. Good seed was sown in the field by God. The weeds don't come from God, mm-hmm. but from the enemy, the devil. The devil sows evil in the midst of good. Now, the slaves, they were eager to uproot the weeds. And it's interesting what Pope Francis says about this. Okay. Pope Francis says, God, with patience and mercy, watches over the field of each person's life. He sees much better than we do the filth and the evil, but he also sees the seeds of good and waits with trust for them to grow. God is patient. He knows how to wait. Hmm. I think that really sums it up. God is patient because he knows that even the heart that has long been stained by many sins can change and begin to bear good fruit. We can say that God allows time for mercy. Mm -hmm. Conversion is always possible. The weeds can become wheat. But in the end, there will be a judgment. Mm -hmm. The weeds will be gathered and burned. But up until that time, there's time for conversion. And this is important for all of us in our spiritual lives. We must continue to till the soil of our souls, asking God to make it rich for the good seed to grow, Mm -hmm. like we were talking in the parable of the sower. And every time we go to confession, we go to do what? To get rid of the weeds. Mm Mm-hmm that are choking the wheat. You know, you can see this in the church. Some people, when we see bad things happen in the church, we see weeds and and wheat in the church. We see sinners and saints. Mm -hmm. The enemy has sown weeds in the field of the church. And it's interesting, Vatican II 
and the Catechism remind us of this. Vatican II says that the church clasping sinners to her bosom, at once holy and always in need of purification, follows constantly the path of penance and renewal. Hmm. All members of the church, including her ministers, must acknowledge that they are sinners. In everyone, the weeds of sin will still be mixed with the good wheat of the gospel until the end of time. Hence, the church gathers sinners already caught up in Christ's salvation, but still on the way to holiness. So, we can be tempted and we can be impatient, just wanting to uproot the weeds, like say, okay, let's get rid of these people. Yeah. Here, you know. Now, doesn't mean we're indifferent to evil, mm -hmm. but I like what St. Augustine said about this. He wrote that many are at first weeds and later become wheat. Yeah. And Augustine says, if these persons, when they are evil, were not tolerated patiently, they would never reach the praiseworthy change in their life. Right. So that's why we always preach conversion. And that's what you know, the church's ministry about. The church clasps sinners to her bosom, mm -hmm. the Second Vatican Council says, because, you know, the devil has sabotaged the field mm -hmm. by sowing weeds in it. And some people then, when they see some of this in the church, they want to leave the church. Mm -hmm. Well, we shouldn't allow the weeds to lead us away. We're about calling people to conversion. Mm -hmm. And it begins with ourselves. And we need to have patience. We need to have forbearance, realizing that only at the time of the harvest will, that's the time of God's judgment, mm -hmm. will there be the sorting out of the weeds and the wheat. So until then, we're a church of sinners and saints. Yep. We have to work, do what we can to be more wheat and less weeds you know, at the harvest at the end of time. And what what's the saying? Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Like uh, we, I mean, yeah. we all are, as much as we hope that we are wheat, uh, there's, there's some weeds within us that, that there's always room for improvement. And as much as we might see others as weeds, there is the potential for them to be wheat. And we need to yeah. pray for ourselves pray for others, and yeah, hope for that conversion. The third parable in this kind of series is the parable of the mustard seed. So it's just kind of interesting how all of these are farming, gardening-related parables, analogies, which I imagine was, was something that the people that he was talking to could really relate to. You know, some of us are more gardeners than, than others now, but I'm sure that was a huge source of your you know, livelihood was, was gardening at the time. Yeah. Yeah. It was very much an agricultural society. In Mark's gospel, chapter four, it's a very short parable. So I'll just read it. Jesus said, to what shall we compare the kingdom of God or what parable can we use for it? It is like a mustard seed that when it is sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. But once it is sown, it springs up and becomes the largest of plants and puts forth large branches, 
so that the birds of the sky can dwell in its shade. It's a really interesting thing that Jesus uses such an image for the kingdom. I mean, you know, it's not an image of a general uh, hmm. coming on a white stallion leading an army. It's it's this little tiny mustard seed. Uh-huh. So it's kind of a surprising comparison. And the gospel says it's the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Really, in the time of Jesus, a mustard seed, that's how it was thought of, as the tiniest uh-huh. of all the seeds. So it was probably raised some eyebrows when Jesus said this, because it's not like a very spectacular image for uh-huh. the kingdom. It's not like a, he could have used you know, an image like a earthquake or something. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but it's not only with what a mustard seed is, but it's what it becomes. Mm-hmm. So the gospel says it becomes the largest of plants and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the sky can dwell in its shade. Really, mustard is an herb, an annual herb, that usually grows to two to six feet, hmm. sometimes even more. I mean, it can even grow higher. But And at the time of Jesus, they would crush these seeds to make mustard oil, which was used as a flavoring. And of course, we do the same thing now. The chief point that Jesus is making is, is that how tiny it is, but yet how large it becomes. And really, you can say that, okay, here on earth, the beginning of the reign of God, the kingdom of God is small. Mm-hmm. You know, we have these ordinary men and women in this rural area of Galilee. That's the mustard seed. That's where it began. Very simple, very humble beginning. And it would develop and it would grow. It would become a sizable bush. And, you know, so I think that's the image that our Lord wants to help us to understand. And we can also think of, you know, that humble image. I thought, you know, why didn't why didn't Jesus use the image of a great tree of like the cedars of Lebanon? I mm-hmm. mean, people knew about those. Or maybe an acorn and you have this mighty oak tree. Mm-hmm. I think there's the humbleness about this. And I think that the ones who heard Jesus say this could see it applied to themselves. And when you see this beginning of Jesus's ministry, the mustard seed of his ministry, his death, his resurrection, then grew into the church. And the church was still pretty small. When you look at the population of the Roman Empire and the power of the Roman Empire, and even today, I mean... The church is like a mustard seed in many parts of the world. Mm. You know, I think of areas where very small percentage of the people are Christians. So I think there are a lot of people today who could relate to this parable. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, the idea of, of how it grows and then that the birds of the sky would be able to uh, dwell in its shade just is a, a great image too for, you know, the hope that we have, how the church now we can offer, you know, where the church has grown and is doing a lot of good, giving shade and comfort and shelter to people every so many places. Yeah.
Well, you can find all of these in Matthew chapter 13 if you want a, a little gardening parable lesson series. I, I think yeah, there's a lot that we can learn from this. It actually goes on. There's the parable of the yeast and then talks about the the use of parables and there's the explanation in there too. It's, it's pretty interesting. I don't know. Do you think we use parables today to explain things or is that, is that um, a method of evangelization that maybe we don't use it as I think much? Some preachers do. Okay. It's kind of a special talent. You know, those who can tell stories like uh-huh. that, that kind of to get a point across comparisons. You always have to be careful because, you know, the comparisons that we make sometimes may not be perfect. Right. Like analogies aren't always perfect, sure. but, but I think some are pretty good at storytelling to get across a message of, not just about the kingdom of God, which is what Jesus's parables were mostly about, but but even about you know other teachings, et cetera. When we bring it to life for people, it helps in understanding something that may be a little bit abstract yeah. to really make it concrete through stories. Yeah, I think they're fun. I I don't even know if like I'm trying to think of some examples of modern day parables, and I was thinking like, would Lord of the Rings be considered a uh, a type of parable it's i mean it's maybe a little less blatantly yeah kind of a way of explaining the faith but yeah i mean there's just fiction. so many good messages in the lord of the rings yeah. and some of them are very christian yeah. messages uh, there's been a lot written about that especially tolkien's catholicism and how some of the images i'd i'd love to study that more i mean i have read some articles you know where you see allusions to the eucharist or to the blessed virgin mary and and other things in the the Lord of the Rings, but yeah, I mean, great! What a great storyteller. Tolkien Have you read the is. books? Oh yeah, okay. yeah, and seen the movies a few yeah. times. Yeah, it's one of my. They're some of my favorites. How about you? I have not read the books. I have seen. I, I think I watched the first movie partially a couple times. I it, it wasn't wasn't my cup of tea. Really? I, I just, You've got to try I, again. Okay. All right. Bishop Bishop said so. <laughs> I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, I think fantasy isn't my my yeah. genre of of choice, but maybe you'll get more into it if you go to the second episode. Okay, the third. Yeah, uh, maybe watch it with the kids. Yeah, fun, exactly. Something to do together. I don't know. You have to be a little careful about their ages because there's, okay. there's they might get scared by the orcs and things like that. Or okay. they, how do they deal with those kinds of things? I'll probably have to. I'll maybe ask another parent to get, get a <laughs> second opinion here. All right. Well, thank you, Bishop, for another great episode. Before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.